0: Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kassensmith. Sam, I'm going to drop the traveling Sam jokes this week because we've made them now for the last three weeks in a row. So everybody knows that we're keeping our social distance from each other, but we're still here. That's correct. Um, we are coming to the last of our podcasts talking about the uh, resurrection. And this really is, this story here, the story of, of Jesus talking to Peter uh, really is sort of a, a coda or a finish to that. Sam, it feels to me like Jesus is, is taking care of some loose ends following it. Like what happened with Peter before the crucifixion and the resurrection needs to be rectified.
1: Yeah, so if you remember the the last intimate exchange that you have between Jesus and Peter, it's coming when Jesus is on trial and he's being smacked around by the priest, and Peter's out in the courtyard and he doesn't know what to do, and you know he's just made this bold, emphatic declaration in front of all the apostles, you know, at, at the Last Supper. Even if all of these, you know, fall away from you, I will never fall away from you. And you know, Jesus corrects him and says, "Well, actually." Uh, you're going to fall away from me before the rooster crows you'll deny me 3 times and so and it says at that moment that Peter's third denial when Jesus is in the height of his crisis we're told that Jesus looks up and catches Peter's eye and you know Peter runs away and weeps bitterly and so that story is still kind of looming out there, you know. If you're reading the Gospels, you're kind of wondering, like, what's what's the condition between Jesus and Peter? They haven't they haven't talked about this. They haven't made up. They haven't dealt with this. And so this last chapter in John's Gospel is this really really sweet uh, reconciliation between the two.
0: Now, when you know Peter with his exclamation, even if everybody else falls away, um, I feel like I identify with. Peter a little bit there. You know, that's this sort of <laughs> well, this sort of over the top emotional it was an emotional response, you know. Jesus mm-hmm. uh, the whole question of what was going to happen to Jesus and the fact that Jesus had just said that somebody's going to betray him and um, he talks about they're going to be scattered, I believe is what he said, you know. And so Peter's like this emotional response, "No!" you know, and I identify with that. You know, I kind of get where Peter's coming from. I I know that when I'm confronted by something that I find unpleasant, sometimes my reaction is to try to overpower it with emotion and Mm -hmm. push through it. You know, my question about that and ask how you feel about it. But with when Peter said that, you know, when Peter said, even if everybody else, you know, falls away, I will never desert you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Do you feel like that was? honest? Like Peter really? Totally. You, you felt like Peter really was saying, it doesn't matter, Lord, if they all go away, I'm going to stand next to you? <laughs>
1: there is no doubt that Peter sincerely believed that. And you see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come to arrest him. What does Peter do? He doesn't go, oh, just kidding, and run away. <laughs> yeah. Psych. I'm not yeah. out of here, Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he breaks out his sword. He's ready to fight to the death. What he doesn't understand is when Jesus says, you know, put, put away your sword. Yeah. You know, I want you to walk with me and carry the cross. I don't want you to break out your sword and fight to the death. I want you to be willing to love people even if it requires your death. And Peter goes, bah, 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 uh, uh, and that's, <laughs> he doesn't know the great cost that will come of being a shepherd of people means that you have to lay your life down without fighting. You lay your life down in love. And so that's the call that Peter hasn't yet wrapped his mind around. When he says, I'm ready to go to prison and to death, and you know, I love you more than these guys. I'll never betray you. You know, He means it, but he's thinking of a different kind of kingdom. Hmm. And when he sees Jesus modeling what the king is willing to do, Peter's going, but I, I don't know that I can do that.
0: Oh, wow. Well, and then he obviously had this the emotional reaction, like, as you said uh, earlier, that when Jesus caught his eye, Peter went out and wept bitterly so that 's kind of how we come into it here is that Peter uh, has to feel as though he 's really messed up you know mm-hmm. he, like he, he has to feel like he 's really on the outs with the lord yeah. um,
1: that 's one of the most haunting pa- verses in all of scripture is is when. Peter has just, you know, and it says the last time he denied Jesus. So there's three denials. And the last one he he explodes and he's cursing and you know, all this stuff, and it says the rooster crows, and then Peter remembers the word the, the Lord's words and he looks at the Lord in the midst of his suffering through this courtyard and crowd and the Lord's eyes met his. And I've always thought, man, what would that have been like, <laughs> oh. you know, to to genuinely love Jesus so much. And yet, like you and me, you know, we fail him all, all the time, you know, right. and, and in, in a way the way we live, the way that we operate, you know, we deny him and, and the ways that we do that. And so to, to see, you know, the penetrating eyes that are, you know, behind a face that's already being mauled and tortured, you know. And to run away and weep bitterly with that as your last memory until you see the risen Lord, that would have seared into Peter's heart.
0: It's interesting how Peter chooses to deny Him because uh, we know the Lord wants that it's a relationship. You know, when when uh, when He's judging uh, judging the the masses in front of Him, He says, "You know, depart from me. I didn't know you." This thing of like, do I know you? And so Peter's. Uh, choice of words to say, I don't know the man. Yeah. You know, to to deny him that way. I, I think that carried an extra, like heavy meaning. It's not. It's not like he said, "Look, I was just hanging around." Or, "No, I don't think he's really God." Or, "He's not the Messiah." He said, "I don't know him," yeah. and I think that that's the worst thing that. Peter could have said honestly, you know, yeah. because really, what the Lord wants is for us to know Him, and He wants to know us. It's about this relationship, this knowing, this intimacy. And Peter was basically saying, "I have no intimacy with this person."
1: Yeah, You know, you know one of my favorite when, but there's a tenderness even in the way that Jesus, you know, sets Peter up. It's like, you know, we know we're going to fail. Sure, and Jesus comes to us, and He, it's He's not giving us license to fail. But he's, he gives a gentleness and an, an assurance that, you know, our failure doesn't mean he doesn't love us anymore. And so, like, even when Jesus is first predicting that Peter's going to deny him, before he says, you're going to deny me three times, this is what he says. He says, I've prayed that your faith may not fail. He's talking to Peter. And he says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, that's going to be significant for this passage today because what Jesus is saying is you're going to fail when you've turned again. When you when you come back from your failure, Peter, strengthen your brothers, hmm. and and in this passage today, that's going to be a big deal. When when Jesus is restoring Peter, how how does Jesus call upon Peter to to express his restoration? It's going to be that same idea: strengthen your brothers, strengthen the flock.
0: So uh, let's get into the passage. It's John chapter twenty one, uh, beginning in verse one. It says, "After this, Jesus revealed himself again." To the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Mm -hmm. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I, I I want to stop there for a second because <laughs> <clears throat> what was Peter trying to do? <laughs> you know, it's like I, he just jumped into the ocean. He, it, it,
1: this is this is the sovereignty of God and all of His kindness, like that makes Peter do this. So, you, I mean, if you if it's if you're not reading the context of where this story is, then this makes no sense. And you're like, okay, Peter just jumps into the water. Yeah. That's kind of weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and puts his clothes on. To jump into the water. If I was going to jump out of a boat <laughs> yeah, into the water, I'm off. taking the clothes off. You know, yeah. it's like Peter puts his heavy garments on and jumps into the ocean. <laughs> so so what this is calling – it's really
1: beautiful. So what this is calling us to remember is if you go in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, uh, we find the story of Peter's calling. Right, and so Jesus comes to the shoreline. Again, it's it's at the lake by the way, when it says the Sea of Tiberias, it's the same as the Sea of Galilee, it's mm-hmm. the same place. And so Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. You know, they've the apostles, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, they are all f- cleaning their nets. They've had this miserable night of fishing. Nobody's caught anything. So Jesus gets into their boat, goes out, and he teaches. And so when he's finished speaking uh, to the crowds, he says to Peter or Simon at that time, he says, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon says, master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And so I one of the reasons why it's so kind, you know, if you're Peter, you've got to be in this boat, right? And when John says, it's the Lord, you know, I've, I've said this before when when talking about this passage. But if your last personal interaction with Jesus has been denial and you haven't had that moment where there's a reconciliation, you know, for most of us, when we deny somebody and we do something that shameful, the tendency or the instinct is, oh, my gosh, there he is. You know, you want to sink down into the boat and not make eye contact. You're totally ashamed. <laughs> but there's two things that we pull out of this passage right away. One is when when Jesus is repeating this miracle, right, So, I mean, think about all the the similarities. They've been out all night. They haven't caught anything. You know, here he is. He says, you know, try one more time. Throw your nets over this side of the boat in the morning. Um, And then there's this huge catch of fish. And so why does Jesus do that after the resurrection? He's reminding Peter of something. He's reminding Peter of that day when he didn't know the Lord And Hmm. the Lord in all of his kindness came and did this miracle for him. Why? Why did he do that miracle? Because he wanted to call Peter into service. He looked at Peter and says, I want you to follow me. Hmm. And so now here comes the Lord, and he's doing that same kindness again. It's like before he ever says a word to Peter, he's saying, I want you, and so I'm coming, and I'm going to do the same thing again that I did when I first called you because I still want you, Peter. And what is he, Peter, this is the other cool part of this. Peter's response tells us massive amounts about the nature of the Lord. You know, here he is, the omnipotent God in the flesh. He's got all power and authority. You know, he could make you tremble at his feet for betraying him. You know, any other dictator or strong-arm, you know, king, you, you wouldn't want to show your face around him ever again. But Peter knows the nature of Jesus so well that even in spite of this horrible failure, He can't wait for the boat to sail to shore. He can't wait. He grabs his stuff together and swims, you know, dives in because he cannot wait to get to Jesus. And he knows that when he comes to Jesus, he's going to find open arms.
0: Mm -hmm. And and it was some distance, too, because it tells us in the next uh, verse, verse 8 there, says, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land— but about a hundred yards off. So Peter was the distance of a football field from the shore yeah. <laughs> when he threw himself in. So he had some water to get through. I mean, just imagine that, <laughs> folks, as you're listening to this story, that you're at one goalpost, you know, at uh, Dolphin Stadium, and you see the Lord at the other end, and the whole stadium's full of water. So you've got to get from <laughs> where you are to where he is, whether you swam or waded. I don't know how deep the Sea of Tiberias is, how far out, but the fact is that he still had some ways to go through the water <laughs> to get to the Lord. Uh, so that took him a little bit, you know? It took him a minute to get there.
1: Mm. Yeah, and one of the other things, like I think is fascinating in this passage, there's, I was listening to somebody else give commentary on this passage, and they said, One of the reasons why we know this is authentic is it gives details that you would only get from somebody who's expressing a memory – you know they're not writing a fiction and so this this guy was talking about how the, the the genre of historical realistic fiction didn't emerge until the 18th century so you don't you don't find these kind of weird details like oh they were 100 yards off right. You know later in the passage it'll say they caught 153 fish you know if you look at ancient legends or myths they don't get into the granular details like this right you know why would you say they caught 153 fish why would you say they were 100 yards from the sea. Why would you list each of the individual? Because there's only seven disciples in the boat. Like, why would you get down into which ones are there unless there's a very specific memory of the author, which in this case is John, um, who is in the boat with him, one of yeah. the sons of Zebedee, so who's coming from memory here.
0: Well, that's what – I mean, that's the guy that told Peter. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, that's John. John yeah. said to Peter, it's the Lord. And then Peter went <laughs> splash, you know, and John had to get the boat in, you know, and bring him 100 yards in.
1: It's one of the – so in this boat, one of the other things that, that I really like all the people in this boat that are named are big personality apostles. <laughs> so, you know, it's – so you got Simon Peter who is the person who acts before he thinks, you know. Right. <laughs> he's always like – he does it and then realizes that he's put his foot in his mouth. You've got Thomas who's – you know, we talked about last week that, you know, is all in. He's emotional but, you know, once he, he feels that his hopes are dashed, he's, he can't trust anymore. You get Nathaniel, who of all the apostles, you know, in the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus just goes up to him and he says, hey, I know what you did under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, I'm in, you know, <laughs> like I'm all in. And then you've got the sons of Zebedee that are these glory hounds, you know, seeking, you know, should we can we be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Should we call down thunder and lightning on your enemies? And, you know, they, they talk a big game. And then just two other disciples that we don't know who they were. But one of, the, one of the things that this commentator was pointing out when he was kind of pulling in the biggest personalities that are kind of different from each other um, is that in the resurrection, now that there's the hope of the resurrection, they don't scatter. Even though they're totally different from each other, they're together. Mm. And at every turn, it's like, I'm going fishing. And they all say, we'll go with you. You mm. know, They go to Galilee. We'll go with you. And so now they've been bonded together they're not they're not tearing apart the resurrection has made them a unit and nothing can tear them apart
0: yeah and it's also i mean one of the reasons maybe that they decided to go with him too was the idea that if if it, if this boat could hold this many guys and could also hold a net that had 153 fish in it this this was not a bass boat you know this was not this was not a 12 foot john boat is what i'm saying this was a decent sized boat so you know part of it was just the practical thing of oh well peter you're gonna need us you know (laughs) we're coming along too yeah so uh verse 9 says when they got out on land they saw a charcoal fire in place now again that goes back to what you're saying. It that's a, that's a detail that comes from mm-hmm. a memory. It wasn't wood; it was charcoal. Um, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it, and fish laid out on it, and bread.
1: But here, this is also this is another thing that Jesus is doing deliberately. Can you remember the last time that that Peter is going to be around a fire?
0: Oh, right, then he denied him, right. He was standing at a fire when he did that, right. So
1: Jesus is now beginning another memory. So the first part of this passage, Jesus is walking through the moment that Peter was called, and no doubt that warmed Peter's heart. But now Jesus is turning through some similarities of a different memory.
0: And then also we have the fish and the bread. So that would have called to mind the fact that when Jesus was feeding the masses with fish Mm -hmm. and with bread. So um, there's a lot of things going on there. Um, Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, that's a bit of a miracle right there mm-hmm. because typically, I mean, they let's just say that they didn't have the same kind of high-technology uh, net-making materials back <laughs> in the first century right. that we have today. So it was – I mean, mending their nets was something they did pretty much every time they went fishing. Because mm-hmm. yep. they would then mend their nets because they had to because the things would rip open and a lot of fish would escape. Um, obviously – Jesus was doing something there, too. I mean, for whatever reason it was that they had 153 fish, Jesus wanted them to know that none of these fish are going to get away. Mm -hmm. Um, I read when I was reading about this, Sam, as I knew we were going to talk about this passage, some of the suggested explanations of what the number 153 is all about are pretty wild. Do you have a favorite explanation?
1: I, you know, I, I, I don't see symbolism here. You know, I, I when I read that, it's like that's such a random number, I can't find any significance of it. It's not like it's 7 or 10 or 12 or 144, you know, these big numbers that, that come with the Scriptures. It just seems like this is a detail that sticks out and is so random that it's coming from a memory.
0: Mm. Well, it's a it, – it, I don't know
1: what symbolism you read about. Well,
0: that. I did. One of the commentaries that I read said <laughs> <laughs> so that there are three potential – Meanings for this, and they they did. By the way, they didn't say that any one of these were right. They just said these interesting explanations have been offered. They suggested that it could be the 153 could refer to the number of languages in the world at that time. It could refer to the number of races or tribes in the world towards which the gospel net would be spread out. Or is that
1: the prevailing belief of how many there were back then?
0: I. I assume so. I'm not sure why Farstad would write that in his commentary. <laughs> otherwise, but because um, that but, would
1: be pretty awesome.
0: It was McDonald and Farstad, Gordon McDonald and Arthur Farstad's commentary. Um, and then the third one was it could also be the number of different kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee or the. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm that
1: like, sounds a little kooky.
0: That sounds a little kooky to me. Yeah, but the idea is. I believe that these two guys saw it at least as being representative of the variety of those that would be saved by the preaching of the gospel that there' going to be some from every tribe and nation kind of thing The, the, the fact that it was such a big number and that it was a net that the net was being caught, and the net didn 't tear. I think there was just a lot of symbolism there about the future work of the apostles in taking the message out to the to the world to this great variety of people that would be brought in with this gospel net and that that if the net was you know, the Holy Spirit gathering them in, gathering his people from amongst all the tribes and nations, that none of the ones that were being gathered would be lost. <laughs> so hmm. that's just a, you know, they're reading between the lines. I don't know that, they, but this is a time for speculating because the two Bible nerds are here doing a podcast. So <laughs> that-
1: about, I just get, I always get, I think some of these, the speculation gets funny. So here's what Augustine actually said. That 153 is the sum of the first 17 integers. So if you add one to 17, the sum is 153. And so he took that as the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Ten Commandments. See, I mean, you can get so far afoul. And that's from a brilliant guy like Augustine.
0: Well, Um, yeah, you know, and
1: D.A. Carson, I like this. He says, if the evangelist has some symbolism in mind connected with the number 153, he has hidden it well.
0: So we'll go there. We'll say that it, uh, that it was a definitely a specific memory because they counted the fish to know there was 153, that there was something of a miracle and that the net didn't sure. tear at all. So there was something going on there. You know, Jesus once again had provided for them bountifully. Yeah. Um, but you know, then
1: – there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a metaphor going on here. When he first calls Peter and Andrew and James and John – that happened, you know, during the course of this first miracle. The idea is, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right, he told them it, that. Yeah, but it's it's making you recall what you've just seen, and so this is what you don't know. When you lower your nets as a fisherman, you have no idea. It's not like the, they didn't have fish finders back then. So when you, you you dropped your net, it was entirely. It seemed like chance, right? You know. But what Jesus is communicating when he calls them fishers of men, he's saying, you have an obligation to drop your nets. I am the one who's sovereign who will be underneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, you know as a, as somebody who's a reformed, you know, Calvinist or whatever you want to call me, you know, I think everybody has a responsibility to evangelize. God is the one who is sovereign over who's going to be in the net at the end of the day. And so when he – when it gives that little detail that the net was not torn, you know, Mm -hmm. if you apply the metaphor – and again, this is my speculation, so take it for what it's worth.
0: um, (laughs) D.A. Carson would tell you it's hidden well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but here you have him saying the net's not torn. It's none of the fish that were caught in the net will ever get away which would be really good news for peter right now right
0: well and it's it's the perseverance of the saints is one of my favorite letters in tulip <laughs> if god has called you you will go nowhere yeah. so uh all right so then jesus has the most the most like everyday response in the world i mean this whole big miraculous thing the full of fish and the net didn't tear and then verse 12 jesus said to them Come and have breakfast. <laughs> now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. So once again, Jesus is sort of taking the role of host here. Mm-hmm. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we we talked about the first two last mm-hmm. time, last week. So this is the third time Jesus has appeared to them. Um, and what he's doing here is what? He's feeding them, right? He's, he's, he's offering them food. He's being the host. Mm-hmm.
1: And again, you've got this feel, you know, that Jesus – so there's a 40-day period after the resurrection, but the Bible is telling you he's not with them every moment. He doesn't walk with them from Jerusalem up to Galilee. Like, you know, the last encounter they have with Jesus when Thomas is asking to, you know, Jesus appears and says, here, you know, you can feel my wounds if you want. That's the last encounter. Now they're up in Galilee. Jesus didn't walk with them. He's not teaching them along the way yet. And yet he appears and they're kind of surprised. Oh, my goodness. There he is again. Um, and so Jesus is teaching again like I'm coming to you in special times. And so here it is again in the morning. We don't, It doesn't tell us what day of the week it is. Um, but here he's breaking bread with his disciples, and you'll notice he doesn't eat. He doesn't eat of it, but it's in the middle of this meal that he does something pretty profound.
0: That is interesting that he doesn't eat, because he did eat the last time he was with them. He asked them for, what, it said fish and a honeycomb, some honeycomb, right. he, and he well, ate. he eats ate. fish,
1: but he's not going to—you remember how he says, I'm not going to eat the meal with you, the breaking the of bread, bread not, that's until right. I come back? Right. So fish, he's game, but he doesn't eat the bread.
0: Or drink wine. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I remember that from the our talk about the Passover. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he, Jesus, said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, I have questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who do you mm-hmm. think he was comparing to? Love them more than these?
1: The other d- disciples that are sitting around the fire. So he's
0: asking Simon Peter, are you willing to differentiate yourself from these guys? You know, yeah, you-
1: well, the reason why he's doing that, you remember when, when, when Peter was so indignant, and he was like, even if all of these fall away from you, I never will. So his last statement to Jesus, like his defiant statement was, do you know who you're talking to? I love you way more than these guys. These guys might fall away from you, but I never will. And so now Jesus is coming to him saying, are you, you know, on the on the other side of the denials? And it's it's a sobering question. Jesus isn't being gentle here. He's being very kind and what his purpose is going to be, but he's doing surgical evaluation of Peter's heart right here. So he says, "Simon, son of John, what do you think now?" Do you love me more than these? Like you said, (laughs) yeah. you know, you held yourself up to the higher standard. You 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 pretended like you were the super apostle and everyone else was just, you know, way behind you. What do you think now? Do you love me more than these guys?
0: I just I I laughed, Sam, because I'm I'm not even in this story. Right. I'm not Simon or Jesus, but I felt this elevator sensation (laughs) in my stomach when you read that. What do you think of me now? It's like I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) That had to be a deflating moment for for Peter.
1: So there's, there's a couple of things that Jesus is doing. He's, he's very intentionally, and, and we'll see this as the rest of this passage goes along, but he's very intentionally and with great kindness deconstructing Peter right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He wants, and, and there's a reason why he, each time you'll notice he refers to Peter as Simon, son of John. Um, that, so, so when Jesus calls Peter— First, he says, "You know, you're you're Simon, son of John." But from now on, I'm going to call you Kephas, which is is rock in Aramaic, or Peter is the the Greek version. Um, so he changes his name to Peter, but now he's referring to Peter back as he did when he first called him. Oh, um, okay. So it's 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 he's totally deconstructing him. He doesn't say Simon Peter, which is more common uh, for Jesus to refer to him. It's Simon, son of John. You're you're back under your old authority. You know, it's like when Peter was following Jesus. You know, it's you you've embraced this new authority, but you're now back where you were. You're Simon under the authority of your father. You're Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these now? And ooh, like you said, that's that's intense.
0: But I also think that the message there to me, as I sit here thinking, yeah, I'm a big loudmouth like Peter, and I make big <laughs> pronouncements, and then I and then I fail. And then I feel like the Lord comes to me at times and says, okay, Mark, let's start over. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Let's That's start again. That's what this
1: passage is all about. Okay.
0: And, I've, been, and- I've been here. <laughs> I've been in that. Not had Jesus personally asked me that question, that would have me quite, uh, you know, my, I would be having some indigestion. Uh, <laughs> but I've been at this point where I felt like the Lord has very definitely come to me and said, all right, let's start over. You know, you, yeah. you, you've gone too far. Let's, let's come back and start over. Yep. So Peter, when he says to when Jesus says to Peter, now you were explaining this to me when we talked about this off microphone, there's a kind of a word play here with the the, do you love me and the yes, you know, I love you. Mm
1: -hmm. And this is super important to this passage because eventually it's going to show just the, the tenderness that Jesus has, even as he's deconstructing Peter. So when he asks the question, do you love me more than these? And then Peter responds, yes, you know that I love you. This is confusing. So hang with me. In the Greek, there's, there's four prominent words that define love, and they each have a unique meaning. So, you know, there's eros, which you kind of get the sensual love. It's where we get the word erotic There's storge.
0: So physical um, love. Yeah. Love it, right.
1: So those two are not in play here. When Jesus asks Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the the verb agapao, which is where we get agape love. And what that connotates is it's a I will love you to the gates of hell. Nothing can pull me away from you. It is a decision of the will. So even when I don't like you, I'm yours. I'm totally committed, all in. Nothing can rip me away from you. Faithfulness kind of love. And that's what he asked Peter. Are you willing to be all in for me? forsaking everything else to follow after me and peter responds by saying you know that i phileo you which is a different word for love it's it's where we get you know the the city philadelphia right. literally comes from two words that means brotherly love and it's an affectionate regard it's this man you don't know the the feeling that i have for you i I love you with every bit of my emotion. I, I feel such warm regard for you.
0: So not to, not to sound like a beer commercial here, but what you're saying is Jesus said, <laughs> are you willing to die for me, Peter? And Peter said, I love you, man. That was about hey, it, right? That's, that's it. That's a pretty that's good it. translation. Okay. I love you, man. <laughs> okay.
1: But you you see here that as Jesus is trying trying to deconstruct Peter out of his pride and arrogance, okay. This is the first sign you see that Peter's like – Jesus is saying, do you really think you love me? Are you all in so committed more than these? And Peter doesn't go back and say, yes, I agapao you. He can't go there. He's just been crushed. He's just proven to himself that he won't. And so in in this kind of – I don't know that shame is the right word, but in this real humility – he comes back and says, you know that I phileo you. I want to give you more. I wish I could say agapao, but i just proven that I can't. And so I want you to know I phileo you. Like, I think I love you so much. And so Jesus is going to – then he says, feed my lambs. And so that's a reminder, actually, of what was said to him earlier when he says, after you've turned, after you've stumbled and picked yourself up, strengthen the brother's jesus is saying if you want to demonstrate that i want you to feed my lambs take Mm. care of my church strengthen them
0: Mm. you know and uh, peter obviously was eager to have this encounter with jesus oh my goodness i mean he threw himself out of the boat a hundred yards from shore (laughs) to try to get to jesus first when peter threw himself out of the boat How did he hope it was going to go? You know, what did he think was going to happen when he got to Jesus? Or maybe he didn't think anything. Maybe he just thought, I need to get to the Lord. You know, maybe that was just the only thing that was in his mind was, I'm 100 yards away from the Lord, and I need to get there now. And then there's this moment where it's like, all of a sudden, I could just picture, it's like everything would have stopped around him. Oh, Jesus asked me this question. Oh, man. Yeah,
1: I think you know. I was was telling my wife Laura this earlier that that the whole biography of Peter basically pivots on three three sections of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first one, when when Jesus first calls him and Peter stands in front of Jesus and recognizes that he's God, what does he say? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Right. In other words, if you knew who I really was, you'd want nothing to do with me. You're holy. I'm a mess. Like, please get away from me because I feel I feel ugly just in comparison to you being in front of me. Please depart. I'm a sinful man. And he goes from that. That's chapter one of Peter's life. Chapter two of Peter's life where he's always saying these really arrogant, prideful things like he's better than everyone else and he's got it figured out and he'll do the right thing and he's the most courageous and da-da-da-da-da. Like that, he no longer has that heart of I'm a sinful man, depart from me. It has become, Jesus, you're lucky to have me because I'm the most righteous man. I'm, I'm, I'm the best one on the team. Right. And all of a sudden this righteousness is set in, but this my favorite chapter is this last one, because when he jumps out of the boat, he has transitioned into exactly who Jesus wants him to be. He's no longer depart from me, I'm a sinful man, because that's not where the Lord wants us. You know, we can grovel and say, oh, I'm such a terrible person, you know, go away from me, God, I'm not worthy of Christianity or religion. That's not where Jesus leaves you. The end is awesome because this is when Peter says, He's back to realizing who he is. I am a sinful man. There's no doubt about that. But instead of saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Peter finally gets it. And he says, because I'm such a sinful man, I need you. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I absolutely have to get to you. You're the only safe place I have in this world. In all the sin and all the shame, you're the only place I know I can go who sees me to the innermost and in all of my shame and all of my sin and all of my failure. You're the one who restores me. You're the one who forgives me. You're my source of life. I have to get to you in my sin. And so there's this great humility that, you know, in the worst of sin, now you've seen me at my very worst, Lord, and I desperately need to get to you. It's not depart from me. It's I'll do anything it takes to get to you mm-hmm. because I'm a sinful man,
0: and wow, I need
1: good. your grace.
0: That's good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, but that's his life story, and that's what Jesus in the series of questions. So we've been through question one. That's the final goal of what Jesus wants to cement in Peter's mind. Hmm.
0: So that was the first question. This is going to continue now. Verse 16, he, Jesus, said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Now, the same wordplay is going on here, right? Right. It's so Jesus comes back. And
1: so remember, Peter says, I phileo you. I have warm regard for you. And it's almost like Jesus is coming back and it's, it's relentless. Like, okay, Peter just, P- Peter just stepped on. He pulled his foot off the, <laughs> off the gas pedal of his arrogance, right? Right. And Jesus is saying – it's almost like he's saying, you know, that's not what I asked you. Simon, son of John – do you agapao me? Are you willing to be all in, commitment, decision of the will? You'll lay down everything for me. And Peter again responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And you can just, you can feel, you know, and, and this is not Jesus shaming Peter for the sake of shaming Peter. He's doing surgery on his heart to get Peter to a place that he needs to
0: get. Mm. Well, and I think that there's also something, there is something significant to me that changed here. In the first verse, Jesus asked him the first question. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And now he says, Peter, do you love me at all? Like, this is just like, let's drop the comparison thing. I just want to know, do you agapao me? Do you love me this way? Period. Period. And, you know, this is the one of all of these questions, because the first one is comparative. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Peter, you're still going to shoot your mouth off? Not a chance, Lord. Not <laughs> shooting my mouth off anymore. Okay. Now we get to the second one, this pivotal one. This second question is when he says, Peter, look inside yourself and tell me, is this how you love me? And Peter can't answer that question. You know, I think it's interesting, too, because. The word feed here in the first verse is replaced by tend my sheep. It's actually a different word. Um, The the words that are used in the first and the third where he says feed my sheep is literally feed, you know, my sheep, like feed my sheep. But here it's this it's a more of an active sort of guide, lead, shepherd, Mm -hmm. protect kind of thing. It's not the feeding. Um, And I just think it's interesting that he changed the word there. Is there do you is there you think there's something into that as well that he would change it to say you know guide and protect and lead my sheep not just feed them yeah
1: I mean I think as a as a pastor it's it's not just that you're feeding them but you're taking them to a destination that's the idea you know as you shepherd them you're guiding them you're 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 preparing them for their final purpose mm-hmm. um, and so that that has this this word uh, which in the Greek's poem, poemeano and
0: <laughs> I, I don't say I'm well either. So that's yeah, right. <laughs> and I don't
1: even know if that's correct. But yes. it's at the beginning of that you have that same you know the the word masterpiece that we talked about in Ephesians the, the episode on Ephesians two ten mm-hmm. where the word masterpiece is poema. You know I, I you know I can't guarantee this, but that root poemano is it's like you're creating a work of something. You're tending them. You're shepherding them along the way with a final aim in mind. Um, so I want you to take my flock, and I want you to, to lead them in the right direction so that they'll become everything I've intended for them to become.
0: Wow. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, so Peter got to the end of that, and then he has one more question to get through. Hmm. He, Jesus, said to him, Peter, the third time. Which is it.
1: not accidentally, like in case you haven't picked up on this.
0: Three denials, um, three questions. Correct. Okay. So
1: he's <laughs> walking him through this memory.
0: He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now the wordplay changes here again, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. So it's like, it's like you noted. And the first one, Jesus is starting out by saying, do, do you agapao me more than these? And then the second time, it's just, do you agapao me? And now this third time, Jesus has lowered the bar again. But this is out of mercy, I think. It says, Simon, son of John, instead of saying agapao again, instead of that third time saying, are you willing to leave it all behind? He says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Like, he he lowers the bar for Peter. And Peter's like, oh, my goodness, you are you doubting even that? Like, and it says, he's grieved because he said it a third time, so now it's making sense. He realizes what Jesus is doing. He's seeing, and he says, "Oh my do, you know, oh my goodness, Lord, you know everything. you're God, you know my thoughts. You know that I phileo you." And then Jesus does something that if you read the gospel and you don't understand where Peter's heart would have been at this point, this sounds like not good news. But to Peter, this would have been the best news imaginable when Jesus starts in verse 18, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And it says he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Hmm. There's so much beauty in this passage because remember what Peter's doing here. He's saying – Jesus is coming and saying, do you, agapa, do you agapao me more than these? Are you willing to lay it all down? Are you totally committed? All in, decision of the will. And Peter's going, I, I'm not going to say that again. I, I thought I did the first time and I messed up and look how I failed you and I failed I you. You have no idea how much warm regard and love I have for you, but I'm not going to say that again. And so when Peter is pulled down to this level of humility, Jesus does something that's really liberating here. He says, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. You know, when you're young, you you kind of do what you want. You go where you want. But let me tell you, let me assure you that when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another's going to dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he's talking about, you know, G- Peter, when he comes to the end of his life, this is prophetic actually. He's he's going to be taken by Nero's officials, and he's going to be sentenced to death. He's going to be crucified. And Peter, according to church tradition, actually says to them, I'm not worthy to die in a manner of my Savior. And so they crucify him upside down, and literally he's going to be taken where he does not want to go, and he's going to stretch out his hands, and he's going to be mocked, and he's going to give his life. And so what Jesus is telling – now, for us, that sounds like really bad news. But what Jesus is telling Peter is, Peter, I'm not done with you. There's going to come a day when you prove that you not only phileo, when you, it's way more than warm regard, but you're going to show the ultimate form of agapao. Your faith is not done. I'm still working in you and through you, and I'm going to do an amazing thing through you. And so all of this you know, the, the, the initial story that's kind of recalling when Peter was first called by Jesus now ends after this with Jesus looking at him and saying, follow me. That's what Jesus says when he calls disciples into ministry, follow me. You know, and, and, and Peter, when Peter and Andrew and James and John, it says they left everything and followed him and, and joined the ministry. And I think one of the things that I love about this passage is even after years following Jesus, knowing the ins and outs, feeling comfortable, like this is a revival for Peter. And he comes to realize that it's it's not about my obedience. You know, when Jesus first called him, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You know, Peter got that right. He's a sinful man who's totally unworthy of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? No, you're exactly who I want. And it's not about whether you're a sinful man. I want you to follow me. I'm going to change you. I'm going to work in you. Then Peter gets all bold and he gets arrogant and he thinks he can do it all. And every time that he does that, every time his pride swells up, it ends in shame and him looking like an idiot, right? And so now here at the end, what Jesus is communicating to Peter is, yeah, you're right. You know, you may not be to agapao level right now. You you're you're probably taking a right assessment, Peter. There's many times where you've had to show your faithfulness to me where you've crumbled under the weight of it, like most notably the denials. But what Jesus does not do is to say, you know what, your faith is garbage, I'm out. He says, I'm going to take your phileo because I know that's genuine. I know that you have this warm regard for me, even though you stumble, even though you fall down, even though you, you're you not measuring up to where, where you want to be, I'm not done with you. But what you're going to find is that the more you phileo me, the more you give me that kind regard, The more I'm going to work in you, Peter, and there's going to come a day where your faith that right now is a warm regard is going to find me more and more and more and more precious, and there's going to come that day when your faith is going to prove itself out to be the ultimate agapao. That day's coming, so don't despair. I'm at work in you, and it's not about what you're able to do. It's about what I'm able to do in you, so walk in that freedom. And then he says, follow me. And that is what he does for all of us. And so there's a million of us who, like, I used to be, and still sometimes am, plagued by these doubts of, man, I failed him again. Look what I just did. Do I, do I, do I really love him? Am I really a Christian? And this is, this is one of those passages where I'm like, oh, thank the Lord for including this, John. <laughs> because, man, like, I feel such tremendous phileo in my heart for Jesus But there's times again and again where i prove i'm not sure i agapao him Mm. and jesus does not turn away from that he says give me the phileo keep on because your salvation your security in the kingdom of heaven doesn't have to do anything with your agapao it has everything to do with his agapao Mm. and Mm. that's unfailing Mm. and so give what you can you know, g- give with your heart. If you're not there to where you're walking with total faithfulness and, you know, none of us will be <laughs> until glory, but give what you can. And what this passage is saying is Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it out. He's going to bring it about to completion. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see with Peter here.
0: You know, um Peter in his second letter, first and second Peter, his his letters to the churches, his second letter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, have an interesting thing where Peter's recalling something. And he says, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. He was reminding them of things that they had learned and that they knew. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So from that moment on the beach until this moment where Peter was writing to the churches, just saying, look, I'm not I'm not long for this world. You know, Mm -hmm. the Lord made clear to me what was going to happen to me. And he was, you know, it's like this time he wasn't shirking this time. He wasn't. Backing away or hiding or, you know, or anything yeah. like that. This was a time when he was not going to deny the Lord. Um, and I just think that it's to see, to, to have this kind of, to have that sort of glimpse to the end of the story, to see that, that Peter not only remembered what Jesus told him about what manner of death it would be that he would glorify God by, but that he accepted that and he, he was waiting for it without fear. Yeah. Um, you know, it really did that that moment there on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias where Jesus asked him those three questions. They really did restore Peter.
1: And and that is such a model of repentance. You know, I remember, you know, there's times and you you find this throughout the scriptures where whether it's a passage that, you know, remember your first love. Uh, you know, remember the days of your youth. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's times where the, where the Bible says, "Hey, do you remember how exciting and exhilarating it was when I first called you?" Sure. You know, when you first recognized, you know, the gravity of your unworthiness, and yet I pressed in and loved you, and that's an amazing feeling. And you can you can grow up, and you can you can get you know more mature air quotes in your faith to where grace seems less amazing than it once did. And what I love about this passage is it's like Jesus deconstructs Peter and all of the arrogance and all the mistakes and lets him have that beginning moment again. You know, it's he gives him a taste of that again because it's you know there's no doubt that when Peter's on that beach he's feeling so totally unworthy. You know, the weight of his sin is on him. And what is what does Jesus do? He he drops the pardon and says, follow me. I still want you. You're still my rock, you know, and he restores him. It's really, really beautiful. And so, like, the beauty that comes with repentance is recognizing, you know, that as long as I'm on this side of glory, as long as I'm continuing to fail the Lord, like, his mercy and his grace should not get less amazing, you know, that he's always faithful to be there, to restore, and to make, you know, his mercies are new every morning. Mm. Um, and that's that's really wonderful, and that it's not about my faithfulness, it's all about mm. his. And if I understand how beautiful that is and how freeing that is, his faithfulness should make me want to live an entire submission and surrender to him, because he offers the greatest source of joy and life and meaning and purpose and he deserves it mm-hmm. you know he's he's awesome
0: you know that's uh that has been the story of my own walk with the lord you know my own life you know i um, i'm 59 i'll be 60 in a little while um and it was 45 years ago that i made that personal decision you know to follow christ to take him as my savior and at first, as you were, as you said, I was just so amazed that He would graciously forgive me and accept me when I knew what kind of person I was. I was I was Peter. I was depart from me, Lord. <laughs> you know, get away from me because I'm really not worthy. And yet, that grace, that love, that forgiveness broke through, and I responded with this overwhelming. Sense of joy and gratitude that I could, for once, not feel like I was doomed every time I thought about God. Because I had been raised going to church, I'd been raised in a religious family, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I heard the gospel at church. I'm sure that I did. But the only parts that I got were that God was really not really happy with me because, you know, there's all this big long list of sins. And I've pretty much checked, checked, <laughs> checked, checked, yeah. check, done them all. You know, they, there were 10 commandments and I broke 12 of them. So, you know, that's kind of how my life had gone. And so I was just so overwhelmed. And then, like you said, as the years kind of started clicking by, I began to sort of take that for granted. Well, that's just mm-hmm. who God is. You know, and then it kind of becomes a little bit of arrogance to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, if, if God is silly enough to to forgive me, well, then you know that kind of thing. And so you you start to kind of go in some dangerous places. But then as time went on and on and on. And the years turned into decades. And God has forgiven me again and again and again and restored me and brought me back and and found ways to use me, even though I am a desperately flawed package. There's a humility and a gratitude and a determination to keep to to Mm -hmm. go more and do more that has built over time where it's exactly as you were saying. It's like there's that, there's that, that honeymoon period where you're just overwhelmed by the whole idea of grace, grace that you then begin to sort of take for granted. But when it's still grace after all these years, there's this intense humility that sets in where you're like, Lord, even this, you can forgive me even for this again. And when the answer is yes, you're like, all right, you know, yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> you know,
1: Yeah, there's an the old meme that I've seen making its rounds on you know, various social media things, and it's the difference between religion and gospel. And you see this transformation in Peter, right? So his first response to Jesus versus how he is in this passage, but it gives this, these definitions. You know, religion, this is the quote, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Gospel, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Um, and so, you know, when Peter first comes across the Lord in the boat, it's I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. It's Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, get away from me. I'm not worthy. Which is right. But then, gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Well, when Peter recognizes, I've just done one of the one of the worst actions. You know, that's going to be recorded in the scriptures. Actually you know his instinct is not to to cringe or to run away he knows he needs to draw near mm-hmm. and that is the kindness you know it's the kindness of god it says in the bible it's the kindness of god that leads to repentance and you know i don't get i don't i don't renew my faith i don't feel a renewed excitement if i'm in a dry spell i don't sit around and think of how how bad i am right um, I think of the kindness of God to love me even when I'm obstinate and stubborn and mm-hmm. content in my sins, and when I think about how kind and wonderful he is toward me, that he still runs after me even when I'm running away from him, that's what breaks me. It's not the weight of my sin that breaks me. It's the kindness of God that breaks me. Yes. And that's where Peter is here. Yeah. He knows the kindness of the Savior.
0: Mm. Well, we'll let that stand as our last word on Peter and his restoration following the resurrection. It also brings to a close our short series on the resurrection. We hope that you have enjoyed uh, exploring the the events that happened immediately following the resurrection and how that sort of set the stage for what was coming next. And in a way, Sam, this story sets the stage for what will be next for us um, in the podcast as well, because uh, as our church finishes up its series on prayer, where we've actually been talking about the resurrection, it's moving mm-hmm. into a series on revival. And so some of the things that we're going to be talking about on the podcast going forward for the next few weeks, at least, will be sort of in that same vein, in that subject mm-hmm. of revival. And the Lord's forgiveness and his kind restoration of Peter and really sets the stage for mm-hmm revival in peter's life yeah the
1: peter that you're going to see in acts 2 when revival starts is a result of the peter we saw in john 21
0: so revival began on the beach (laughs) yeah (laughs) really where where jesus restored peter so kindly and then told him you will continue you will go on and you will follow me you know well, we hope you have enjoyed your time with us and that it has been profitable. As always, we do invite you to correspond with us. If there are questions or comments, uh, suggestions that you have, topics you'd like to hear us talk about, our email address is water at riovistachurch.com. That's com. You can always find all of the prior episodes of Out of Water by going to our website at riovistachurch.com slash or you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Wherever fine podcasts are available for free, we'll be there. We'll be, b- <laughs> we'll be back next week talking a little bit about revival. And we'll see you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash Water.